A marriage made in heaven. If that's you, raise your hand. Come on. Come on. Chickens. A marriage made in heaven. Does that sound like yours? I got to confess, through no fault of my wife's, my, sometimes mine doesn't feel like that. Can anybody agree with that? Amen. All right. I, I knew I'd get an amen somewhere along the lines here. You know, marriage is an institution. It is struggling. It actually is struggling worldwide, but it's really struggling in America and our culture. And as I said earlier, the devil hates it. He hates it. And he's going to do everything he can to destroy it. And just because some of our marriages have been destroyed, we, there's been divorce, there's separations, doesn't mean the devil's won. He'll claim that and he'll try to tell you that. But there are sometimes situations out of control in a marriage because God will never override the human will. Never. And the enemy is relentless. The enemy is relentless. And it's being redefined. Marriage is being redefined. We went through this a few years back with that whole gay marriage thing. You know, it's kind of interesting. And this is how things happen in a culture. Remember when it started to be on the, on the radar of everybody? talking about marriage, and there was this big fight and this big argument and all of this stuff going on. And here we are just a few short years later, and as much of the world considers it normal. It's not normal. But it's being redefined. I was looking up marriage, and I, I came across terms I didn't even know what they meant in terms of marriage. You know, we talk about marriage. We obviously, man and one man, one woman. We've heard and went through the whole same-sex marriage thing that's taking place. Open marriage, we've probably heard about open marriages. You know, hey, we're married, but hey, don't let that crimp your style. Go do whatever you want to do. Let's just both come home. Open marriage. Not sure that's very biblical. Well, yes, I am. It's not. We see polygamy. Isn't that crazy that we still hear about polygamy? And I, I discovered polygamy, there's different term for for a man that has more than one wife, and there's a different term for a wife that has more than one man. Didn't work very well in the Old Testament. It usually caused a lot of trouble. There's even a term polyamory. Anybody ever heard of that? Good. That's the marriages where, uh, well, I'm not sure they call it a marriage. It, it, would, it would be that, you know, I just love so many people. Some of them are men, some of them are women, so I'm romantically and sexually involved with just all kinds of them. I I don't even believe that we have terms that define things like this, but we do. Marriage. What's become very, very common, very common, is a lot of people are just throwing throwing aside the concept of marriage and just cohabitating, living together. Everybody's doing it. You know, and as a matter of fact, in my own extended family, it's like, Really? You're not going to try it out first? Make sure it works? Well, if we know the statistics, try it out, it works worse. Statistics prove that there's greater divorce rates among those who cohabitate before marriage than those that don't. There is just confusion. There's redefining going on. And marriage is taking a beating. Marriage has been, for years, the brunt of many jokes and many humorous quotes. Now, I don't want to hear any amens with the next slide, but I just go resist. Henry Mencken said, marriage is a wonderful institution, but who wants to live in an institution? 
Michael D. Montague says, a good marriage would be between a blind wife and a deaf husband. No amens. Ambrose Beer said, love is, (laughs) this was my favorite, love is temporary insanity cured by marriage. And the last one I put up there from Oscar Wilde. One should always be in love. That is the reason one should never marry. Now, I know, I'm probably not in here, but I know there are people who would have said, "Uh uh-huh, that's it, that's true. I'm evidence, I can prove it to you. Amen, brother. And that's why they're funny, because we know that some people think that way. Hopefully for us, they seem ridiculous. But there are moments, there are times in every marriage where things aren't perfect. A marriage made in heaven. I asked that question when I shared the title. And I said, how many of you have a marriage made in heaven? Does it even exist? The answer is yes. Matter of fact, every marriage should be a marriage made in heaven. But is there a perfect marriage? Now, some of you might think so, but you're deceived. (laughs) There is no perfect marriage. There isn't. There was one once, and that got messed up too. But there is no perfect marriage. But from God's perspective, he has a mate. He has a spouse for most people. When I say most, singleness, not everybody's supposed to be married, and not everybody's called to be single. You know, Jesus was even addressing the difficulty of marriage with his disciples. And he says, you know, better maybe if you didn't get married. Some are born eunuchs. Some become eunuchs by man's hand. But some shouldn't marry. But he says not everybody can handle this. And I'll explain why I believe that's not for everybody for sure to remain single. I believe it's God's plan for most people to be married. There was once... In Genesis 2, 18 through 25, and that's what we're going to look at this morning, is Genesis 2, 18 through 25. And I'm going to look at it from the perspective of it showing and giving us a picture of the very first wedding. Not so much the total marriage as it plays out, but the first wedding. When the marriage rate in the Garden of Eden was 100%, everybody that God had created was married. It just happens to be there was only one couple. And the good news is the divorce rate was zero. And sadly, that didn't last long. By the way, just a sidebar, you know, we hear so often that marriage, marriages are divorcing at a higher rate and a higher rate and a higher rate. Quite honestly, that's not true anymore. And some people might wish that it was because we're communicating better, we're working harder at marriages. That's not true either. The reason it's declining is more and more people aren't getting married. They may live together for a year or eight years or ten years, and they don't need a divorce. So the statistics are really deceptive in marriage. Suffice it to say, there's too many. And the reality is, it happens. And it's going to continue to happen. But today we're going to look at it from God's perspective. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. That perfect marriage in the Garden of Eden didn't last long. We don't know how long. But it didn't last long because what happened? Sin entered the world. We could call it the fall of mankind. And it just didn't enter the world. It also entered households and marriages. I want to read Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Don't worry about the slides yet, Dylan. But I'm going to read it in its entirety, and then we're going to go back and look at it a little bit. 
And for some of you, if you look in the Bible and you're not real familiar with the biblical story of creation, you'll see in Genesis 1, it talks about God creating man and women. And then in Genesis 2, it talks about it again. It's kind of a little bit of a, a, a not a, a different perspective, and they fit together well. It's not two different events. It says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever name the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, wow. Well, that's my interpretation. But the man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I read that from the NIV. I always encourage people, if you got a, a Bible uh, uh, app or something, to look at different translations to see some of the different words, and we're going to look at a couple of them in just a moment. Starting with verse 18, God's intention for marriage. Verse 18 simply says this, The Lord God, said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. If you read Genesis chapter 1, God is busy creating. And he says over and over on day 1, on day 2, he says that I think twice on day 3, on day 4, and on day 5, and partway through day 6, he looks at what he's created. Now, can you picture that, God looking at what he just created? And he said, it is good. It is good. You'll see it in in verse after verse, verse 4, verse 10, verse 12, 18, 21, 25. You'll see him looking at it. And then he created man on the end of day 6. And what we just read in verse 18 is what he said. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Man had no counterpart. When you look at the words, there was none. I'm going to create a helper suitable for him. You know, that has been so misunderstood and so abused in so many ways. Ah, They are women. You're nothing but my helper. You go do what I'm supposed to do. You're under my rule. You're under my control. That's not what it means at all. When you look at the word, Helper or helper suitable, in the original King James, and I'm not saying that's the best, but in the King James it said these, this word, I am going to create a help meet, H-E-L-P-M-E-E-T, for him. And what that word means, a helper suitable or a help meet, when it says help, one who is to assist the other person to reach fulfillment, I am going to create, I'm going to make, I'm going to give to him someone who is going to help Adam reach fulfillment. And God didn't make a mistake. 
He didn't mess up. He knew from the very beginning he was eventually going to create this woman to be his counterpart. And then when you look at the help meet part of it, it says one who is suitable or a counterpart. A counterpart, one who brings into something what was already lacking. A counterpart. And I believe, this is me, I believe if something is a counterpart and it's going to bring fulfillment over here, if this is a counterpart, this counterpart also brings fulfillment over here. They fit together to fulfill God's plan for both parts, the man and the woman. One is not better than the other. They're different. And if you don't know you're different, talk to me after the service. But we're different. We're not created to be the same or to do the same things. We have different roles. But in God's eyes, really when you look at the word Adam, it means mankind in general. We could look at that and say, Cindy, I want you to meet Adam. Really, her name is Cindy. And he created woman because it came from man. So ladies, know up front. Men, understand up front. We are created equal in God's eyes. We are of equal value, equal worth. We are not created one to rule over the other. But there are roles that need to be clearly defined. And thank goodness God does clearly define them if we pay attention. Alone. It's not good for man to be alone is what it said. This is God's words, meaning he didn't have this counterpart. It's kind of the word if you do a study and it's like a branch of a tree being taken away. It's not good. He's a part of something that's whole, but the whole thing is missing. We need to be not isolated from the whole, but we need to be brought together. And that's how God is looking at this when he created Adam and he brings Eve and he creates something really special. You know, his greatest invention, no offense women, might not have been the woman. I believe his greatest invention might have been marriage. Because marriage, bringing that man and the woman together, was designed by God to bring fulfillment in each one's life individually. To make them both complete. To make them both better. God is going to give Adam someone to fill what was lacking in his life. He had a solution. I'm going to read verses 19 to 22 again. It says this, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, and he'd brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature was his name. I personally do not believe this was not just so Adam would discover how brilliant he was. Or because God had been so busy creating, he just ran out of information and didn't know what to call him. I believe there's more to it than that. I believe he is doing this so Adam will come to a revelation of his own as he's doing this. He says, So the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and then he brought her to him. I believe God created a realization in Adam as all these animals and birds and all of this creation paraded before Adam. Isn't that an amazing thing to try to picture? shows you how finite our mind is. 
He brings them all to him, and all of a sudden, they're all done. The list is complete, and he's given them all names, and he's still looking and waiting. I'm alone. None of the others were alone. I'm alone. I believe he came to that realization, I'm not alone. And I believe he would come to that realization because I believe that God has put in everybody a need for companionship. There may be grace for some to not have the intimate companionship of a spouse, but I believe even in every single human being there is a need for companionship, primarily for companionship with God, but also a companionship with other people. And I believe that realization would have came, I'm alone, I need somebody. Where's, God, you did a great job, but where's mine? Who do I have? And I believe it truly awakened in him. What is companionship? And I ask this, I ask this with every couple I, I do pre-marriage counseling with. What is companionship? Hey, I got this great buddy over here. We're good buddies. He's a great companion. Well, that's nice, but that's not what God's talking about when he talks about companionship. It's much deeper than that. Here's a quote that's not mine. I don't know where it came from. Companionship is more than just being together. It is to involve an intimate interaction with our mate on the total level of our humanity, the total level of our humanity, spiritually, physically, emotionally, and socially. At every level. And I personally believe very firmly that this is only possible for a Christian marriage. There are a lot of good marriages out there, I'm not saying there aren't, where they're not Christians. But I believe to be spiritually in union with one another the way God intends, it's a Christian marriage. I guess if you wanted to look at it this way, could two atheists or two agnostics, they'd be in spiritual union. I guess you could go there. But I don't. This is what companionship is. This is what a marriage is supposed to look like. This is what it's supposed to be to be fulfilling for us in God's design. This is one of the things that makes it so difficult. And I know because I've experienced it in my own life and I've seen it many, 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 many times in husbands and wives where one spouse or the other, they may have not been saved, they may have been saved, but all of a sudden one catches more on fire, the term we would use, one becomes more enthused about a relationship with the Lord than the other. And they're not in the same place. And quite frankly, we're hardly ever in the exact same place, but sometimes we're spiritually in different places. And it makes it challenging. It makes it difficult. But God knows that, and there is grace for him to help you through those processes. Don't get so discouraged if that's where you're at or where you've been. It's, it's quite frankly sort of normal. But for it to come together, there needs to be that spiritual unity, oneness, just like a physical and emotional and social oneness. So what does God do? Well, he provides. And I believe once that desire from, uh, for a companion is there, and I believe this about any desire that comes from God. If God truly gives you or I a desire, I believe totally with my whole heart and my whole mind that if he gives you a desire, he will fulfill the need in that desire. If it's from him, he will provide. And in this case, he provides. And notice in the verses that I just read, 
in, uh, in verses 19 through 22, a few things, three things quickly. One, Adam is put into a deep sleep while God worked. Now, do you think that was just to prevent pain? I don't know. I don't know why he did it for sure, but I have some thoughts. He put him into a deep sleep. Therefore, he was totally uninvolved in the process. God was doing it all. Adam wasn't standing there saying, I wish she was just a little taller, a little shorter, a little bit different color hair, a little less nose. No, you sleep, man. I got this under control. My marriage, your marriage is going to be made in heaven. I have the spouse for you. I have the mate for you. Go to sleep. Again, I'm sharing a little opinion here so you know that. But I believe it's an important lesson that we need to learn. I believe that we can short-circuit God's plan. I mean, you know, there is a time when I'm like, okay, God, I'm not sure you got anybody that can put up with me. And there's certainly probably nobody that, that I'll listen to. But I looked and tried in my own strength until I gave up and I got set up on a blind date. Talk about out of control. And lo and behold, here we are. Quite a number, how many years? That doesn't even hold a candle to our other pastor. Bob and Lynette, 50 years this last week. Awesome. We could have got great odds 50 years ago. Against that one working. God has a plan. When it's God's choice, it works. A surgery took place. Now, this is, again, me adding a little bit of my own imagination or bringing it to my own circumstances, but it tells us God opened Adam's side, took out a rib, put some flesh back over it, and then he made woman. Surgery is generally painful, generally hurts. There's a little bit of recovery. I believe even in marriages made in heaven, there are times where it's going to be a little bit painful. Even though we might have God's chosen mate, we aren't perfect, and it's painful. We need to trust the Lord during those difficult times. And remember the commitment that we made to the Lord and to our spouse. And the third is symbolic. Um, I have no biblical support for this whatsoever, but I think it's just really cool. Matthew Henry is a commentator. Historically, he's been dead for a long time. If you ever look at different commentators or commentaries, you may see Matthew Henry's. I like the way he put this. Because though I can't support it all with Scripture, I think it works really well. Eve was made by God, not out of Adam's head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, and from under his arm to be protected, and from near his heart to be loved. It may not be a verse in the Bible, but I think it would be good for us to remember that Matthew Henry's commentary on marriage. 
So now we're going to look at the first marriage ceremony just a little bit. And I'm going to read verses 23 through 25. The man said, This is now bone in my bone, flesh in my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason the man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Ever wonder why I put that last verse in there? They were both naked. Now don't go home and be biblical in everything. Some things you need to understand in context. (laughs) That wasn't in my notes. Can you delete that? As I said earlier, as great as Eve was for Adam, I believe the even greater thing created at that moment was marriage. God's design for marriage. Notice Adam's response when God brings the woman to him. And I think that's interesting, and I'm not going to take it too far, but God brought her to him. I believe God can bring our spouse across our path. He might even use a blind date. But he can. And notice Adam's response. And you can kind of put in your own... I mean, it just sounds so religious when I read it in the Bible, but I mean... I just looked at every creature that God's existed and I gave them all names and I discovered there's nothing there for me. I go to sleep and I wake up and God brings this woman to me, my counterpart. I can't imagine he didn't just go, oh, this is amazing. Wow. Here she is. Here's the one that Adam instantly realized that he would not be able to live without. Here's the one that was compatible for him. Here's the one that God had designed for him. In Genesis 1.28, God had given a mandate to the man and woman. As I said in, in the first chapter, it also talks about the creation of man and woman. But in 1.28, he gave them a mandate. He said, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What a mandate. What a mandate to receive. And now he has Eve, his partner, the one he is compatible with, the one that will help him fulfill that mandate by God. Verse 24 There's a responsibility given to Adam. And it says this, putting your mate, or excuse me, this is now. We have a leaving, and in some of the older older translations it says a cleaving. And I like that word cleaving better than being united. In the Hebrew, the word, and if you've been in a pre-marriage counseling with me, you know I love saying that word, debak. Debak. means to cleave. And a picture for all of us would be something like this. It's to stick to, to adhere to. It's be putting two things together like two pieces of wood with Gorilla Glue or whatever the strongest glue you can think of is and puts it together. And you cannot pull it apart. Well, correction. You might be able to pull it apart, but what happens? It damages both pieces of wood. 
the picture here and his responsibility, there is a leaving. Every other relationship is to become subservient to the marriage relationship. Relationships with other people. The only relationship, the only relationship that is superior to the one between the husband and the wife is a relationship with God. It's the only one. Every other one, guys, your buddies, they don't come in first. Gals, your girlfriends, they don't come in first. Work relationships, recreation relationships. Pick anything, inanimate or animate, no relationship is superior to or should become above in a priority than the marriage. That's the leaving aspect of it. And then there is the cleaving. It's put together. A lot of marriage ceremonies, at least we, they used to say, and let no man, no one, no person separate what God has brought together. The cleaving and leaving. I personally believe, and I share this in pre-marriage counseling all the time, that the very highest expression of love, it's not sex, guys, I'm sorry. The very highest expression of love is commitment. Commitment. And I believe it's exemplified for each of us when we look in the Word of God in Hebrews 13.5 where the Lord says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Commitment. The highest expression of love. Jesus Christ demonstrated that kind of commitment when He went to the cross and died for our sins. What higher expression of love could there be than that? A completely innocent person went to a cross and was crucified in the most horrific death we can think of for something he never did. But to demonstrate his love for us and for the Father, he went. He was committed. I will follow through. I will go and I will do it. I love them so much that I'm ready to lay down my life. For God so loved and was committed to the world that he gave his only begotten son to die for you and me. And in our culture, and I know, I hope you remember what I prefaced this whole thing with, I know in our culture we are living in a sinful world. We are sinful people. We still have to deal with sin around us. And we are individuals. We can't control what other people do in our relationships. And I understand all of those things cause divorce, separation, heartache it happens but not with God he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you and the last thing I want to mention was in verse 25 the fact that they were naked and they were not ashamed there was no shame why was there no shame because the word shame in and of itself implies guilt and there was no guilt In reality, they were dressed in exactly what God created, their skin. And there was no sin, therefore there was no shame, and there was no guilt. And I believe another reason there was no shame is because there was no condemning judge heaping condemnation on them. There was no shame. Marriage is made in heaven, but they aren't perfect. 
But I want to remind us that it's God's creation for each one of us that he provides a spouse for. And remember, anything that God creates or designs to bring blessing to his children, the devil hates it. He hates it. I mean, just think, this was one of the very few things other than animals and humans, plants. It's one of the very, so in the garden, he created it in perfection. And the devil hates it. And he will attack. And we know, we can look around, we can know in our own lives, if we get complacent, take things for granted about our spouse, about our relationship, communication breaks down, we can't solve a conflict to save our lives, we can't agree on anything, we have nothing in common, we don't do anything together, guess what? The enemy says, oh, have I got opportunity here. And he will attack mercilessly. However, this is a big however, God gives us instruction in the Word of God how we should work at marriage, And equally as great, he gives us the grace to overcome. Even when it's not possible in our own strength, he gives us grace to overcome the corruption and to have the kinds of marriages that bring glory to God. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to take a look at what a Christian marriage probably should look like. Today, we were just focusing on that first wedding and part of why God created it. And again, I I hope you hear my heart. Don't let the enemy condemn you, bring judgment against you, bring guilt or shame against you if your marriage has ended, if you've been divorced, or you're in a big struggle, you're separate. Don't go there. We want to know and prepare ourselves for whatever God is going to do in our lives from today forward because he has a plan for our lives no matter what's happened in the past. He has a plan for every single one of our lives, no matter what's happened in the past. He is a God that can redeem anything. Anything. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I I pray, God, that you will quicken in each of our hearts. Father, those that are married, those that are divorced, those that are single, Father, I pray you would quicken in our hearts how important marriage, family, is to you and the kind of blessing you designed it to be for each one of us. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, the authority in that name that you would give us the grace to resist the thoughts and the attacks of the enemy who would try to come against us and bring guilt or shame or condemnation. God, I pray that you would help us by your spirit and by grace to resist those thoughts, take them captive. And just put our trust and faith and hope in you. I pray now as we go our separate ways that you would go before us. Father, I continue to pray and believe that you have divine appointments for each one of us to share the good news of the gospel, the hope that is in Jesus Christ. I pray you'd give us the words to speak when those opportunities present themselves and the courage and the grace to share. Father, we pray all these things that you would be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen.